Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And for those of you who did, let me remind you that we have a fitness center here at St. Andrew uh, in the lower level for the use of our members, open during church office hours. Also want to welcome you to yet another uh, annual celebration that uh, comes around uh, every year at about this time for most of the world's Christians, and that is the festival or the Sunday of Christ the King, uh, which began just in the 1920s in the Roman Catholic Church and then uh, spread into the Anglican Church and then finally made its way into Lutheran churches uh, that also gather for worship. Uh, to sing some great hymns and crown Jesus the Lord of all uh, just before crossing the threshold into another season of Advent in our spiritual countdown to the celebration of the birth of our King, whose dominion we proclaim with the words, He rules the world with truth and grace. And even though today is obviously and rightly a spiritual upper for us in our worship, it's also true uh, that the scriptures that are traditionally read on the Sunday of Christ the King typically rotate between three passages, one of which is the final judgment, where the king will come in Matthew 25 to separate the sheep from the goats. And then there is Luke 23, in which a man in the midst of his own execution asks Jesus to remember him when he enters into his kingdom, curiously because Jesus is also in the midst of his execution hanging on a cross. And then there's today's reading from John chapter 18, where we have a scene from the interrogation of Jesus by Pontius Pilate on the morning after his arrest, all of which may also make this day feel just a little bit like a transition to Lent instead of Advent, and uh, also might help to explain why the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Sweden officially calls this day the Sunday of Doom. Come on, kids. We don't want to be late for the Sunday of Doom. But it's true, and yet when I think about it, that just juxtaposition really kind of works to remind us of what we're really here to remember today, and that is that Jesus is not your typical king, uh, which he says himself in today's uh, passage on the morning after his uh, arrest by the officers of the chief priests and then his trial in front of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish high court or the Supreme Court uh, that convicts him of blasphemy and then hands him over uh, to the regional Roman governor whose name is Pontius Pilate because while the Sanhedrin did have authority to hand down a sentence of capital punishment, it did not have the authority to carry one out because that was reserved only for their Roman occupiers to do. Hence the additional trial in front of Pontius Pilate. And the question that Pilate asks Jesus, and this is in all four of the Gospels, is the simple question, are you a king? And as you heard, Jesus really doesn't answer that question, at least not directly. Rather, he answers the question with a question and says to Pilate, you asking this on your own or did somebody else talk to you about me? It's kind of a snarky response 
quite frankly, but it does get to the heart of the matter, and that's because if Pilate was actually asking this question for himself on his own behalf, then what he probably really wants to know is whether Jesus was a political threat to him and to his boss, the emperor, which would have been a very big deal especially if Jesus was uh, forming some sort of a militia or planning an insurgency against that little part of the empire for which Pilate himself uh, was responsible. But on the other hand, if all he was doing was asking this question on behalf of the people who handed Jesus over to him, then what he probably wanted to know was whether Jesus actually thought himself as a, some sort of a self-appointed king or messiah to the people of Israel, which would have been of less concern to Pilate, at least for a little while, though it does seem that uh, Jesus does get on Pilate's nerves, uh, given the fact that he snaps back and he says, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own people handed me over to you. What have you done? Well, Jesus really doesn't answer that question either, at least not directly. But he does make a statement and it is a statement that makes Pilate want to dismiss the case on the grounds that this is nothing more than some internal religious squabble or skirmish or fight, but would ultimately prove to be a bigger threat than Pilate ever imagined. And that is the statement that Jesus makes, that his kingdom is not from this world. And not only does that statement kind of back Pilate down from the ledge, but it also says a number of very important things about the one who is still honored, he is still worshiped, he is still obeyed all around this world for more than 2,000 years, and also about how you can live your life as one of his loyal subjects. For openers, this passage and this day tells us that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, not a physical one. And when Jesus says as much uh, in John 18, and he says it even more deliberately in the Gospel of Luke when he says to his followers, you know, you can't look around and say, there it is, or here it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, it's in your heart and your soul. But that is precisely what makes it so powerful. Because that is the one place where nobody can get it. No army can get it. No individual can get it. No situation or circumstances can get it. And that helps to explain why it was that a woman who was wearing a cross around her neck, whose house burned to the ground just not long ago in California, could go on TV on Thanksgiving Eve and talk about how grateful she was and how good God is. Because for her, the kingdom of God, that is to say the grace of God or the influence or the power of Jesus had supremacy in her life above everything else. The kingdom of God was not in her house, it was in her heart, and not even a fire could destroy it. And I don't want your house to burn down, but if it does, don't you want that? Secondly, 
This passage helps us to remember uh, that Jesus does not establish his dominion or his kingship by controlling you or forcing you or intimidating you. He does it by serving you and loving you and giving you everything that he has so that a world full of followers for more than 2,000 years would honor him in response and respect him and follow him and trust in his righteous judgment. You know, you didn't have to build this building, but you did. Nobody forced you to come here today, but you're here. Nobody's holding up your offering, holding you up for your offering. So what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? It's because when you open the scriptures, you will see the king bowing down to forgive a woman who was convicted of a sin that was punishable by death and telling her, I don't condemn you. Go, sin no more. That's the kingdom of God. And if you turn the pages, you will find uh, this king entering into the, the homes of unclean sinners and, and taking a towel and washing the dirty feet of his disciples. That's the kingdom of God. That's the grace and power and influence of Christ. And if you turn the pages some more, uh, you will see this king, and he is wearing a crown, and it is drawing his blood because it's made of thorns, because of this message of freedom and forgiveness and hope that he brings to the world, which explains why people have lived for him and have even died for him over the course of all these centuries all around this world. Because his power, the power of his kingdom, is strong, stronger than anything this world can give or take away. A war cannot destroy it. Cancer cannot destroy it. Fire cannot destroy it. Not even death can destroy the kingdom of God in your heart and your soul and in your life. And so when Jesus tells Pontius Pilate that his kingdom is not from this world, Pilate sort of gives his own snarky response and he said, oh, so you are a king. After which he actually tries to get out of putting Jesus to death because he is now convinced that Jesus is no threat to the empire whatsoever. But as you know, he ultimately gives in in response to the crowd. But to paraphrase a line from a movie, the death of Jesus Christ does not have the desired effect. And little does Pilate realize what was really going on here and that the power of this king and of the life he brings to the world truly is greater than anything that the world can give or take away. And I know that because I've seen it work that way a thousand different times. I would also tell you that this day reminds us that if, if you really want to have influence in this world, you want to be a powerful person, you know, in your community or your workplace or your family 
or your school or wherever God has placed you, if you really want to leave a legacy behind that, that people really are going to respect and follow long after you're gone, if you want to know, you know what satisfying influence really feels like, then all you've got to do is get up in the morning and remember that you're a child of the king and that you are a member of the royal family of Jesus Christ, and then get up and go out, and following the example of that king, spend your life serving and giving and loving and bringing the kingdom of God into the world in which you live, and see what kind of influence and watch what kind of power you really have when his power is flowing through your life. One afternoon last spring, I was uh, heading into Wild Lake High School in uh, Columbia for a uh, meeting just at dismissal when you know, hundreds of students were you know, flowing out of the front doors of that uh, school. And as I got a little bit closer, I could see off in the distance that standing in front of the front doors and between a row of school buses was the school principal with whom I would be meeting as well as a, a bunch of others. And as I got closer still, I happened to notice this one young man, a student, walk out of the front door of the school, and he passed the principal not two feet away from him, looking very unhappy. Not saying a word uh, to the principal, and I don't know whether he bombed a test, I don't know whether his girlfriend broke up, I, I really don't know what happened. But what I did see was how this man, this young man, this student, passed his principal, and the principal just swiveled around instantly, and he called him, and he said, hey, 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 get back here. And this young man turns around, and kind of sheepishly walks back to uh, the principal, you know, probably thinking, wow, I'm gonna get dressed down for not honoring the king of the school. When he got there, that high school principal put his arm around that young man, and he said, hey, you okay? After which they had, I don't know, 30, 45 second conversation, which ended with the two of them shaking hands, but it was like one of those handshakes you see in the end zone of an NFL game after a big game-winning touchdown. These guys were dapping each other up and, you know, the whole bit. And what I stood there and saw was the transformation of a young man who was not the same person when he got on that bus than he was when he walked out the front door of that school because the most powerful person on campus got down and gave him something that made some kind of a difference in his life. Years ago, I read a, a book on leadership that I still have. And it says that uh, you know, the lowest form of leadership or power and influence that you'll ever have in your life is uh, when you have been placed into some sort of a, an office or a position of authority. And people follow you uh, because of the position that you have. Not because they want to, but because of your role or your authority over them. But if you rise to the next level of leadership, people will begin to follow you and honor and respect you because of what you do for them, because of the way you lift them up and encourage them, sometimes even maybe correct them. 
If you rise to the third level of leadership, people begin to follow and respect you and honor you because of what you do uh, for that whole community that you're part of, whether it's your home, your family, your school, your workplace, whatever it is. If you rise to the fourth level of leadership, they will honor you, respect you, follow you because of what you do, not just for the organization or for them, but for the whole world, everywhere you go. And then the author says that finally there is the fifth level of leadership, the highest one of all, where people honor you and they respect you and they will follow you simply because you are who you are. And he says, you know, very few people reach that level of leadership in this world. But if you want to know what godly power, godly influence, really is in your life. Those are the steps to take, and all of them have something to do with giving instead of with grabbing. I have known people over the years in positions of power and of authority for whom I have zero respect. And what influence they do have comes from the office that they hold, but not the person who's holding the office. Conversely, some of the most powerful, influential people I have ever known are the ones who got down to lift me up, and not only me, but the community that I live in, the church that I'm part of, the world in which I have placed. In a world where so many people try to get power by destroying others with their actions or with their words. Jesus Christ, who is never your typical king, puts his power into you. His children, his loyal subjects, where nobody can destroy it, but from which it can flow freely out into this world in response to what he has done for us because he is who he is. And because his dominion, this king's dominion, isn't someplace outside of Richmond. And this day is everything but a Sunday of doom. It is a day of victory. As the curtain comes down on the interrogation of Jesus Christ by Pontius Pilate, and we get ready to cross the threshold into a season of beauty and life and hope for the world when you and I celebrate the birth of our King who rules the world with truth and grace. May Jesus reign in your heart and may his power and his influence flow through your life until every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.